Sheila Zelinsky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zelinsky. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the Sheila Zelinsky Show. I broadcast Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB, and for more ways to listen to the program, including the customized apps for all smart devices, and of course, the daily show on MixLR, and for many more ways to listen, simply go to the listen page at weekendvigilante.com. I have a fantastic show today, but first, quickly, I just want to mention that year-end donations means a great deal here so that I can continue doing what I'm doing. I'm asking you to become a monthly supporter of any amount. One-time donations are great, But it's very hard to budget on one-time gifts. And it turns out, according to my analytics, less than 1% of my listeners are monthly supporters. And there's something wrong with that, guys. I'm doing my part, and you need to do yours. I put my heart and soul into this, and it is a calling. And I've said this before. You don't just quit your calling. Trust me, I've tried. I've tried to throw in the towel so many times I could start a laundry business. But it's far worse to not do your calling than to just grapple with it daily. And some of you will get that. So again, this broadcast and ministry is listener supported. Please give a generous year-end donation so that I can continue bringing you this program. And if you're eating the meat of the ministry, remember that the workman is worthy of his wages. It is not fair that people tune in all the time and they don't sow into this ministry. That's unfair. Come on, by anybody's standards. So again, I'm doing my part. I'm depending on you to do yours. One lady recently said to me, you just got to trust God to provide. I do trust God to provide. And guess how God mainly provides through his people. This show is worth supporting. It is. And if I didn't think that, I might as well just get off the air entirely, really. When it comes to healing and deliverance and preaching the gospel, in addition to the news and the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. That's a huge premise of this show. So again, please do give your most generous year-end gift so I can plan some things in the coming new year. And I very much appreciate your support. And I really want to say thank you for my monthly supporters. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your one-time donations. But just remember, it is very hard to budget on one-time gifts or sporadic gifts. So again, Go to the donate page there at weekendvigilante.com. God bless you for doing that. Well, speaking of the show, I have a great show today. I have two guests back to back. It is going to be a great show. The first half of the show, I am joined by Mark Morano. I'm so excited to have him on. And then the second half, 
Dave Hodges joins me for some riveting information. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. My first guest, it is such a pleasure to have him on the program. He is from ClimateDepot.com. I don't know if my new listeners know this, but Mark began his career working for Rush Limbaugh. He later served as a director of communications for a guy I really adore, the amazing Senator Jim Inhofe. He was also the communication director for the Senate Environment Committee under George W. In 2007, he produced a report listing hundreds of dissenting scientists whose work questioned whether global warming was really being caused by human activity. And he debated Bill Nye on an epic CNN Pierce Morgan show on global warming. It was so amazing. He has been on hundreds of thousands of media appearances, including Fox News, Alex Jones. I could go on and on. He was part of the first to break the climate gate email controversy and is a creator of the fabulous movie, which I own, Climate Hustle. It is the original climate criminal, the Chuck Norris of climate deniers, I call him. Mark, <laughs> welcome to the program. Thank you, Sheila. Happy to be here today. Appreciate it. Well, you know, it's where does a guy start? Well, let's start off with this Morocco. Love this headline I saw back at the beginning of November. It said COP22 hosts Morocco launches action plan to fight devastating climate change. Well, let's start with that, Mark. All this devastation. Well, first of all, I was in Morocco. I went. I spent a week of my life in Marrakesh at this UN summit, and on day three. I had armed United Nations climate cops escort me off the premises. And what happened was I had I showed up. Uh, I was doing an interview with I had a life-size cutout of Donald Trump, and I brought a paper shredder, and I started shredding the U.N. climate agreement that <laughs> President Obama signed. And for some reason, they didn't like that. But it actually was worse. Had I showed up with a picture of Obama, they probably wouldn't have minded. But someone said, you got to call security. And even though I was in front of PBS, the Associated Press, CNN, major media from around the world, ABC News, they literally came over and within two minutes, shut me down and walked me out, even though other people were doing very similar stuff. Just no one else attracted any media attention. And they said I was being a danger to the delegates attending. This is the kind of, they don't, they don't want to tolerate any dissent there. I had a lot of fun, I mean, shredding the document, and the media ate it up, of course. But the media was trying to interview me as the U.N. armed security was taking me out, and they literally threw me out of the compound. It was a giant walled-in conference center in the desert, and I had to wander the desert for about 10 minutes to find my way out. So I was a I was lost child in the desert. Wow, you sound like Moses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing that Trump has vowed to, of course, tear up international climate agreements. It's such a relief to have a guy in there that understands the components of this being one of the biggest frauds of our era. Trump's stance is certainly very different than we're used to, isn't it? Here's a st- the shock. And here's what I don't understand. I know there's a lot of never Trumpers out there. And I, I can understand that from a Republican Party point of view because he was, you know, he's not part of the establishment. However, yeah, I think it was the Hill. Donald Trump was probably assembling the most conservative cabinet since Ronald Reagan's first term. And on climate, he has been a leader on this issue. And even going back to 2010, he was saying that the Nobel Committee should strip Al Gore of uh, his prize after the climate gate scandal, which, which you alluded to, Sheila, in your opening. Um, Donald Trump has been, you know, very laid out a very simple plan. He went to, you know, basically cancel the United Nations climate agreement with the U.S., withdraw from the U.N. process, defund the, the climate panel, and also overturn the executive orders on, from the EPA that President Obama did. That's, 
Obama essentially bypassed democracy both domestic through EPA executive orders and internationally by signing a, a UN climate treaty and not submitting it to the Senate for ratification. So to the extent that he bypassed democracy, it makes it a lot easier to overturn it. And Donald Trump, by virtue of who he's assembled for his transition team, fantastic people like Mike McKenna, Myron Ebel. These are people with longstanding climate skeptics in Washington who are poised to uh, carry out what Donald Trump has promised. And it's, it, was, it was amazing. And the media, of course, is in horror at all this. Yeah, absolutely. And whether he's going to defund or dismantle the EPA and, of course, the United Nations IPCC, the International Panel of Climate Crooks, as I call them. But, I mean, he's really talking yeah. about defunding <laughs> these organizations and dismantling the EPA. That is stunning. Yeah, he is. Now, I don't know about this. Yeah, he's on the campaign. You know, Donald Trump, they said his supporters took him seriously, but not literally. So when he said this, you know, I don't think he's actually going to try to abolish the entire environmental protection, but he's going to rein it in and probably reduce the budget significantly. I don't know that that was actually what you go by with Trump is you want to see the written proposals and his written proposals. He actually talked about overturning the executive order, defunding, promoting American energy, getting rid of these regulations and also uh, withdrawing from the U.N. climate treaty and all that. In terms of actually abolishing the agency, I know he may have alluded to that in the campaign trail, but I don't know that that's. I just don't know that Republicans, you know, a lot of this stuff is that we have a problem with the Republican Party is that they have been very timid when it comes to environmental issues. They never want to be seen as against the environment. And what's fascinating about that, Sheila, is the EPA itself admits that even if we fully implement Obama's climate plan with the EPA, not only will it not impact storms, which they use as a justification to pass them, or temperature, which they use as a justification, it won't even impact global CO2 level. In other words, China, India, the developing world is growing so fast, putting up so many coal plants and laughing at the rest of us while they, they're, while they're doing, trying to grow their economies, that our restrictions on coal and shutting down coal and going after fracking and stopping oil drilling have no effect on global emissions because they're developing so rapidly. And that's the big joke here. So if you just look at this from a purely cost-benefit analysis, why would we do these EPA regulations? What impact will they have on the climate? Oh, no impact by the EPA's own admission, and they won't even impact global CO2 levels? I'm sorry, and we're shutting down American coal because of this? We're putting communities and states in unemployment and devastating families? For what reason again? And that, this is where it becomes such a simple argument. And not only that, but when you're talking about coal, it reminds me of James Hansen, the good old death trains of coal, right? That's right. And, you know, it just, I mean, what a commie agitator that guy was. And yet, you know, later on, NASA, of course, was saying, you know, hey, nothing to see here. We didn't ask the guy to do that. But amazing is that Obama has really been pushing this and ramming this through Congress without approval, literally bypassing Congress, essentially. And of course, now with who knows how many executive orders coming up before inauguration, because up until now, Obama's really been the poster child for pushing the fact that, hey, this is devastating, the runaway global warming, we've got to act. It's a bigger problem than ISIS. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think it was Trump's national security advisor has ridiculed the Obama administration calling global warming a national security threat. So it's just winning in spades across the board here in terms of this. And of course, the actual science on that, and John Kerry has pushed this too. Global yeah. warming is a great security threat. Here's the fun with it, Sheila. You ready? I could give you a bunch of quotes talking about how climate change is a threat to our national security. Guess what? They're from the 1970s global cooling scheme. 
scare. The CIA was claiming cooling at the time was causing unprecedented storms, tornadoes, floods, droughts, and was going to cause disruption around the globe because they thought then that fossil fuels caused global cooling because we were burning and our emissions were releasing what's called aerosols and it was blocking out the sun, causing global dimming, which was cooling the earth. So we think we hear something new and, oh, this is really well-reasoned. It's the same argument. They just flipped it back in the 1970s. And besides that, actual peer-reviewed studies, and I have all this at Climate Depot, show that the most stable periods with the least amount of war are during the warmer periods. It used to be called the medieval climate optimum from 900 to 1400 AD. And that was when the, the optimum temperature, meaning life thrives in warmth, and cold is where you get crop failures and resource scarcity and people start fighting over it, and that's when you get wars. So they have it exactly backwards based on the data. Well, yeah, in a Time magazine, um, 1971 and 73 actually says, the big freeze. Flash forward 15 years, of course, what was their caption? It was an egg in a frying pan, and it said, the caption, global yeah. warming, be very afraid. And of course, you know, we've gone from global warming to climate change to global climate disruption to climate weirding to atmospheric <laughs> radicalization. It's just, it's getting to be just a complete joke here. And then now we've got, again, we've heard it before, the Democratic Party platform is calling two weeks ago for prosecuting the global warming skeptics. Here we go with round two, Mark. Yeah, and as you know, that in the movie Climate uh, Hustle, we dealt with that extensively. We have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wanting to lock up skeptics, put him at The Hague, the International Criminal Tribunal, with three square meals and a cot with all the other war criminals. That's what he, yeah. And, you know, we have Bill Nye, the science guy, who thinks it's a very good idea. I actually asked him point blank about Robert F. Kennedy's idea. So this is a, um, an impulse that they've had for decades. They want to shut down debate. They want to smear us. They want to ridicule us. They want to, they want to take us out of the game, make you lose jobs. And when that's not enough and you still can't silence you, now they want to throw us in jail. And they want to use – we have Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island wanting to use the RICO, which was used against organized crime, the mob, to come after global warming skeptics. And it's even worse than that. You know, you have all these mayors now worried about the election of Donald Trump. Well, they have good reason to be worried. The state's attorney generals and, these, and some of these governors even are trying to get this idea that it's poisoned weather. Every time there's a flood, hurricane, or drought, despite the fact that on every one of those things I just mentioned, they're either on declining trends or at record lows or at no trend. <laughs> and in the case of tornadoes and hurricanes, we're near record lows. Global droughts are actually in a decline on 60-year timescales. So what they want to do is every bad storm declare it poisoned weather, fossil fuel poisoned weather, and then they, now they want to start class action suits and go after energy companies and say to ExxonMobil, for instance, you caused our drought, you caused our hurricane, or you caused our tornadoes, and then they're going to try to get damages from them. This is, it's a shakedown. This is what they're going after, and this is, this is where the inevitable end of this is. This is all about money. That's what the United Nations is about. That's what these attorney generals are about, that these mayors are about. The U.N. has actually admitted it. It's not about climate policy. Their vice chairs actually said this. This is about redistributing wealth by climate policy. That's an exact quote from the U.N. United Nations climate official. And it really goes back to Regenda Pachura's statement. You know, this is not really my job. This is my dharma, my religion, because environmentalism. Yes, my dharma, yes. Really and he, not only did he say that, but interestingly enough, he said that global the, the, the UN climate panel, which is just a political lobbying organization masquerading as a science body, 
He said that, quote, we're at the beck and call of governments. They set us up. We will do, if they want a different product, we'll produce a different product. So basically, these governments want the product, particularly the developing world governments, they want the product of let's fleece the, the wealthy nations and get this climate slush fund so the money comes our way. I talked to a South African development expert when I was at the UN conference, a few, one of the conferences a few years back in uh, Durban, South Africa. They always pick exotic locations. This last year was in Marrakesh. They've had them in Bali and in Indonesia, Buenos Aires. They've been, been in Lima, Peru. They've been in Kenya. But the South African development activists said that UN literally is going to be handing out money to essentially corrupt third world dictators and other developing world countries, even, even good guys who are trying to do right. It's going to be very hard to turn down hundreds of billions into trillions of dollars of money from wealthy countries for them not to develop. They're basically, it's the UN paying off governments to say, if you are best able to keep your people in poverty, we will pay you this amount of money. And then these politicians in power take the money, they don't develop, and then they, they start building a monument to themselves, they'll build stadiums, they'll start using the money for graft to make sure they're reelected. This is the way the world goes. This is why the UN is seeking such what they call global governance. Oh, yeah, you nailed it, because environmentalism is an elaborate $100 billion a year levy that is bankrolling global government and lining the pockets of the likes of George Soros and Gore and others. So, And you'd think the Republicans would grab a backbone. Yes, and that's the other thing. The, the, there's all, the, hopefully that's going to come to an end. You have to be careful. You can't assume everything, because the Republicans have been just as bad of purveyors of this yeah. nonsense as the Democrats in many cases. But Trump has pledged to get rid of this, and hopefully the Republicans will finally have a spine. What they want to do is mandate energy that's not ready for prime time, wind and solar, and then start scaling back and restricting energy that's proven it works, oil, gas, uh, and coal. And if you look at the actual numbers, I actually had Climate Depot posted a chart that said the energy mix of about 100 years ago, 1915, is the same as our energy mix now. Fossil fuels still account for about 85% of the world's energy mix. Imagine that, 100 years of regulations trying to choke off carbon dioxide and subsidies trying to promote wind and solar, and still no one can knock off carbon-based energy, the, you know, oil, gas, coal it's amazing. They, as much as they try, but what they end up succeeding at is devastating, uh, particularly regions and in increasing energy bills in the long run or higher than they otherwise would be because of these regulations. Well, yeah. And of course, now the, these UK researchers are going to tax food to reduce climate change. So there you go. You know, if it's not a carbon tax, it's a food tax. It's a breathing tax, really, because us CO2 emitting plebs are heating up the earth's, you know, runaway global warming is from us exhaling, Mark. Yeah, they said, Richard Lindzen, the MIT climate scientist, said it best. He who controls carbon dioxide controls life. It is a politician's dream to control carbon dioxide. Why? As you just mentioned it, you can control every aspect of life transportation, energy taxes, agriculture, food taxes, land use policy, seaways, the SUV weight and size, your home appliances, your light bulb, your home thermostat. I mean, every aspect that you could imagine. In fact, in the UK, they're proposing carbon ration cards for employers to monitor uh, you know, each employer's home energy use. If you right. fly too much or keep your house too warm in the winter or too cold in the summer, you're going to be in a deficit and no credit. If you're under, you get, you know, you get credits. Other UN proposals have been a CO2 budget for every man, woman, and child on the planet. And guess what? The U.S. is already over our individual budgets. This is, a, it's, again, it's about central planning. They're using the climate scare 
as a means to impose what they've always wanted, which is them in charge, government, international, central planning of every aspect of our life, particularly energy economies. Well, and, you know, Karl Marx himself would have salivated at this idea of using phony junk pseudoscience to convince the world population that you're responsible for heating up the Earth's atmosphere. It's so ridiculous. And then you've got all these new initiatives just in the last month. Bloomberg announced the United Nations to give approval for very aggressive geoengineering, essentially. And what happens when you geoengineer, whether it's chemtrailings or firing off metal filings into the Pacific Ocean, which we know had devastating environmental consequences. It is stunning that they can demonize the God-given necessary byproduct for human life under the guise of we've got to do something here. Yeah, and you have this this CO2 capture, let's get it and bury it. Why would you want to bury a, a CO2? First of all, humans inhale oxygen, we exhale CO2. It's a trace essential gas necessary for life on Earth. New studies are actually showing that CO2 is actually stabilizing in the atmosphere as plants are greedily eating up more of the CO2. The idea that we want to start going through all of this stuff and regulating it in carbon markets and sequestering it and shutting down, it just makes no sense. As I mentioned, we just look at it in a simple cost-benefit analysis. Even if you shut down American industry, it doesn't matter. And if you start talking about shutting down the developing world, then you're talking about essentially mass slaughter. 1.2 billion people don't have running water and electricity. They're the ones suffering from high infant mortality rates, short life expectancy. Life is nasty, brutish, and short. Unless they get carbon-based energy, they're going to continue to live in what can only be described as a primitive existence. And that's the immoral part here. You have Al Gore in the film Climate Hustle, which, by the way, shameless plug, is available at climatehustle.com for DVD now in 1995. Um, (laughs) He actually talks about we need ubiquitous fertility management. And the idea, particularly in Africa, now here's a white wealthy politician, Western politician talking about there's too many black people in Africa and that you know, their population is projected to grow so much. And this is all part of the global warming thing. We have the Sierra Club. We have other environmentalists in the U.S. talking about imposing a one child per family rule similar to China on the rest of the world in order to fight global warming. This is about the educated bureaucratic elite trying to live out their fantasy of controlling every aspect of our life. In terms of succeeding, they were getting closer and closer. President Obama signed it. John Kerry, of course, who's never turned away from any globalist agenda, was thrilled. (laughs) Let's hope Donald Trump follows through on this. And let's hope that gets shredded. And this time, I'd like to go to the next UN conference and say the United States is no longer part of this and and then dump the shreddings all over the place and let them kick me out again. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to come on. You those tree huggers would just gasp at all that paper shredding. But John <laughs> Kerry, John Kerry's legacy probably will be visiting Antarctica to study global warming. But, you know, you've got slick Billy Eugenics Gates as I call him and Ted Turner recently again hinting around at depopulation. You know, again, we go back to these three prongs of global governance, as you alluded to, the whole depopulation thing. I mean, that was Hitler's total dream, too. And he was a really big nature lover. You've got, sadly, the Pope running around with good old uh, depopulationist, uh, his science advisor, John Schnellhuber, saying on record in New York Times, this is not us, this is New York Times saying, you know, the population should be a nice little manageable one billion. Well, that poses a question mark. What do you do with six billion people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the 
population issue. If you go back to the 1960s and you look at what Paul Ehrlich had said, here's where they've learned. They actually have a learning curve. Paul Ehrlich made a bunch of predictions like 1968, 1969, 1970, Earth Day had a bunch. By 1980, this will happen. By 1985, this will happen. In 15 years, this will happen. In five, none of them came true. In fact, Don Ehrlich famously lost the debate. He's still considered a hero. He wins awards. You can, it's one of the only professions you can actually, environmental extreme is the only position where you can actually continue to win awards no matter how wrong you are because they love the, <laughs> they love the doom and gloom. But what the global climate people learned from the overpopulation effort is let's start making these predictions a little further in the future. So now, you know, polar bears will be gone by 2060 in the Arctic. And you look at the person making the prediction, they'll be long dead by the time that they're predi- you can evaluate whether their prediction was true or not. And that's one of the learning curves. Now, of course, I did a whole, in, in the movie, we have a lot of fun with the old tipping points that have already expired, even on climate. In, the, in 1989, the UN issued a 10-year climate tipping point. That expired. What do they do? They issue a new tipping point. Prince Charles had a hundred-month tipping point, and he actually had a countdown as we went as we went through it. I mean, it's just it's the silliest thing, but it goes back to what we were talking about: is they want us to be so scared that we must act that you can't evaluate their proposals on their merit. Now, it's one thing if they said, "Hey, we would like global governance. We would like the United Nations in charge, essentially planning all these aspects of our life. We're going to affect appliances, SUVs, and this is what we think is a good energy policy." Everyone would say, "Like, what the hell are you talking?" <laughs> that is nonsense. There's no way we're doing it. But if they say we must act before it's too late, they get a certain segment of the population actually going along who other, uh, otherwise wouldn't go along. Well, it's kind of like the Pope, you know, the moral imperative. The, the It's the right thing to do. Laodicea, he lays out that unprecedented climate encyclical 184 yeah. pages later. When did the Pope become a climatologist? But, you know, you've got the conjoined Marxist twins, Ehrlich and Holden. You mentioned Ehrlich, the old population bomb. You've got eco-science. They made all these bizarre predictions, even suggesting, well, let's put some sterilants in the water. I mean, the frightening things that are in that book. And then, of course, you know, the sky is falling. It's the moral imperative, Mark. Do it for your grandchildren, right? In the waning moments, Mark, just give out your website again and tell people how they can get Climate Hustle. Very well done, by the way. Thank you. Uh, you can go to climatehustle.com. The DVDs in 1995 just went on sale about two months ago. And also Climate Depot is my daily website of all the information. Uh, and you had just one comment on the Pope. I was actually at the Vatican Climate Summit in April 2015, and they threatened to throw me out of that. And that wasn't, that wasn't even for shredding anything. I was trying to ask a question to Ban Ki-moon. But the simple way there is the Pope has an unholy alliance with the people at the United Nations who literally eat, breathe, and drip out anti-Catholic theology. I mean, everything that the United Nations stands for when it comes to developing world be it uh, ubiquitous fertility management, in the words of Al Gore, to uh, abortions, to uh, all the overpopulation control and everything else that they want to do in denying the developing world energy is not in line with Catholic teaching or theology. And the the people that the Pope has aligned himself with include people who think the carrying capacity of the earth is only about a billion, that we have five billion now, too many people, people who want to see RICO statutes to prosecute skeptics. It's really unbelievable. And there's also even an alliance uh, and involvement with George Soros. If you go at climatedepot.com and look up Soros and Pope, you can read some of those articles. And that's fascinating from the WikiLeaks scandal, some of the stuff that's come out on that. Well, you're so right that he would align himself with a known pantheist and Schnellhuber, his science advisor, and these other hucksters and unscrupulous charlatans. He's aligned him 
self with it is so diametrically opposed to Catholic doctrine. And, you know, if it's not John Paul II saying Catholics had a special religious obligation to protect God's creation from damage caused by the burning of fossil fuels, unrestricted deforestation and other practices. Well, it was Pope Benedict XVI. He was dubbed the Green Pope for his frequent calls to stop this ecological devastations. And then, of course, his successor, Pope Francis, George Bergoglio, coming out again and saying, hey, you know what? We Catholics should lead the charge to protect God's creation from runaway global warming. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's a whole nother thing. And um at the summit, they actually said for the first time, science and religion are you know, joined or working together. And that's not something you generally you know, want to happen, especially when it's politicized science from the United Nations and when it's misguided activist you know, religious principles being imposed, being merged with the United Nations. Again, it's not hard to argue that the Pope's promotion of UN climate treaties, and he actually said in the encyclical, we must pray for the successful outcome of the UN Paris climate agreement. Yes, that blew my mind. Yes. He turned into a climate activist lobbyist on par with Al Gore when he wrote that. But it's not a moral choice, and the church shouldn't take it when you're denying people, 1.2 billion people without running water and electricity. You're denying them the cheapest available energy that's going to prolong their life, let their kids survive a childhood. Uh, all because you're afraid of global warming and you're putting the United Nations in charge to limit their development. That is not a moral choice for anyone, be they a religious leader or a secular atheist. Yeah, there you go, Leonardo DiCaprio. You be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And Vatican, how dare you kick out Mark Morano? (laughs) Almost got kicked. They threatened to throw me out just for asking. It's a whole other story. But but for a freak rainstorm, I probably never would have made it in the building. I have all the credentials, but they they knew who we were, and they're trying to keep us out. We were part of a skeptical delegation that was trying to persuade the Pope at the time. (laughs) A skeptical delegation. Well, Mark, you're in good company. There's a lot of us in the skeptical delegation. Listen, Mark, it is always such a pleasure to have you on the program. And I thank you for your courageous work. If not for people like you, well, there certainly wouldn't be the light shed on this absolute biggest fraud of our era. That's what I call it. Thank you for standing up for the truth. And thank you for your time today, Mark. Thank you so much. And I appreciate your support during when we had the movie out last spring in April, May. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mark. Folks, that was Mark Morano from ClimateDepot.com. His information is linked there today and as well a link for how you can get Climate Hustle. You have to watch Climate Hustle if you haven't already. So good. Stick around. We'll be back right after the break with Dave Hodges. Don't go anywhere. Back after the break. <laughs> 